You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Pastor Paul Kern. We'll turn to Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to be referencing a few scriptures out of Ephesians. This is part two of our series, Overcoming Defeat. And in part one, we discussed five Ds. And the five Ds were very quickly, uh, doubt, distort, discourage, distract, divide. I don't have time to go back and, and teach that. We've got a great podcast on it. I encourage you to go listen to that. But we talked about how God has a plan of victory for us, but the enemy has a plan of defeat also for us. And there's a way that he goes about trying to accomplish that in our hearts and in our lives. So go back and listen to that. Um, But in this part two, I want to talk a little more, um, you know, we had several points and I'm going to narrow this down to just three in this session, three key areas that God wants us overcoming. Specifically, we're going to look at one, overcoming anxiety with peace Overcoming anxiety with peace. Two, overcoming fear with faith. And three, overcoming confusion with wisdom. With wisdom. So God has provided for us everything that we need, the Bible says, to live a life of godliness, to to live a successful life. He's equipped us with everything that we need to be able to navigate all of the complexities of life that we encounter every single day. So I want to start with overcoming anxiety with peace. Um, Anxiety has become one of the defining symptoms of our times. I don't know if you've recognized this or noticed it or read about it, but there's been many articles, lots of uh, statistics and things that have been released about Um, this disorder that people are dealing with, but according to the Anxiety and Depression Association, anxiety disorders affect 40 million adults in the U.S. That's a little over 18% of our entire population. That's a big chunk. It's a lot. As a matter of fact, people with anxiety disorders go to the doctor three to five times more than the average person just because of anxiety Disorder, So it's a big issue. And it's not just affecting adults. It's not just, you know, adults working in the, in the workforce, but it's affecting young people. I'm talking high school age, young people, college age, uh, young people are dealing with this, just, just like adults. As a matter of fact, colleges say that their rates are higher than they've ever been among their students dealing with anxiety. And obviously COVID didn't help that at all, right? But this was already happening, you know, several years before COVID has ever even been known about. And so, you know, these hotlines of depression and, and things that we have to offer resources to people, they've, the, you're talking skyrocketed. They've gone up 60% this year. But, if, but the Bible it addresses this. And in Ephesians chapter 6, look at verse 15 with me. This is talking about the armor of God. We've probably all read about this at one point or time. But it says, for shoes, put on the peace, everybody say peace, that comes from God's good news so that you will be fully prepared. Now, 
we all have on shoes. If you don't, you're crazy because it's freezing outside and you're going to have really cold toes. But we all put on shoes tonight. We put on shoes, and guess what? Without even really paying a lot of attention to that, they are providing you a lot of comfort and peace right now. They're keeping your feet from, you know, stepping on a rock, and you know how that is. Man, I I have real tender feet, so if I step on a rock, man, I'm just bouncing up and, ah, you know, and so... The cold, all of that, they, it protects you. So Ephesians talks about peace being like a shoe that you put on your feet. You tie it on there with your lace it up tight. You get it secure so you're ready to go. And, and what I've discovered and try to convey to people that I meet in life, apart from Jesus, you really don't have any real lasting peace. You may have temporary peace, but you don't have this abiding peace. And that's what I'm going to call it. It's an abiding peace. It's a, not just peace with God by virtue of what Jesus did for you when he died on the cross, but I'm talking peace in God. I'm talking that peace inside of you that only God can do. Now, listen, everybody in their heart of hearts knows and they're aware of the internal discomfort and struggle that we all face in the world. Jesus made it very clear. In this world, you will have struggles. You're going to have it. But take heart, what? I have overcome the world. So when you come to Jesus and you put your full trust in Jesus Christ, and I'm talking your full trust, you, and, you know, full trust would be like you leaning up against a wall to the point that if the wall moved or shifted, you would fall down. I mean, all your weight is leaning into that wall. That's, your, that's what I call full trust. You're hanging on to a rope. If you let go, you plummet to your death. That's your full trust. You're clinging to this. So when you put your full trust in Jesus, listen, things become very different for you. Life changes immensely for you. The Bible says in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been made right with God, By faith, listen, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. So it doesn't matter if you are struggling, caring for a sick loved one, or dealing with peer pressure at school among your friends, or you're struggling under an academic load in college, or you're dealing with postpartum depression. The Bible makes it very clear that God has given us shoes that we can put on, that we can travel, I mean, and traverse life, and there will be a peace that will go with us wherever we go. Isn't that good? See, Jesus knows what you're facing. We, we have a Savior that connects with us. Always think about this this time of year. When I reflect upon the manger, when I think about baby Jesus laying in that manger, I always think about how God came near. And I think about how God came in the flesh, and it really makes Hebrews come alive for me, where it says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses because he became like us. 
So we have a God who totally connects and understands everything, every struggle that we face. And church, I don't know what that does for you, but I'm telling you, that gives me great comfort. I mean, that just, that changed everything for me. I don't have some God way out there somewhere that's so far beyond removed in my life that I can't even identify with him. You know, I've been to a couple of churches in my life and, and and the minister, his name was Father of the Angelic Divinity the Third. Well, I can't connect with him. That guy's way beyond me. Seriously, I can't. I mean, he's got that robe on and he's all holy and here I'm, I'm just me, Paul. And, I'm, and I don't have a robe and I don't have that name and I'm really not all that holy. <laughs> but then I think about Jesus and, and when they ask, what shall we name him? The angel said, name him Jesus. And do you know that during that time, over 200 people had the name Jesus. It was a very common name. It was like Frank or Bob or Jim. This is a very common name. God chose to give his son a name that was a common name that we can all identify with and we can all relate to. See, Jesus knows what you're facing. Jesus knows the enemy's temptations. He knows the feeling of being pushed past physical limitations. Man, I'll never forget, I will never forget, uh, we, our firstborn had a major surgery when he was eight years old. He'd been in the hospital for a couple of weeks, two different surgeries that we had done, big major surgeries, and we had gotten him home from the hospital, and we had already had another major surgery that we had scheduled for our other child, our youngest son, in Baltimore at John Hopkins that was already scheduled out, and this surgery that happened for our oldest one just came very unexpectedly, and so we went through all of that. It was very traumatic, and we were were able to get him home, and we had um, grandparents and great-grandparents watching over him, and we had to immediately fly out and go um, up to Chicago to have this other surgery done. And while we were there having the surgery done, my mom had a major heart attack. And she had to have a quadruple bypass. She, they had to put her in ICU. Her heart wouldn't get a regular beat. So we were there for a couple of days and we had to fly home and I made it home. And, and, and as soon as I got to the house, I had to head out to, uh, to Texas and be there for a week and had to leave my poor wife with, you know, taking care of two. And I'm telling you, it was a time of a lot of anxiety. It was a very difficult moment in our lives. And and I've never forgotten that time. But you know what I really remember more about that than anything else? The peace that God provided for me through all of that. Now, I'm not against taking medication, church. I'm not preaching against it, and I'm not here to condemn anybody who is. But what I am telling you is allow the Holy Spirit the opportunity to meet the need in your life before you reach for the glass of wine, before you reach for the prescription medication, before you allow some addiction or vice or habit to take its hold in your life because the Bible is made very clear there is a peace, come on, that's made available to us that God provides. We just have to be people who will grab hold of that peace. The Bible's very clear. 
very clear that none of our failures or our limitations can separate us from God. It's very important that all of us understand this, that our, that our standing with God and God's acceptance of us, it's not based on whether or not we have been a good son or a good daughter to our parents who are aging. It's not based upon whether we've been a good high school student, we've made all A's, or we're doing good in college and knocking a home run. It's not in our ability to be a good mom or a good dad. It's not in any of that. No, the Bible makes it very clear. Romans 8, 1, it says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you're here in this session, or if you're listening by live stream or riding down the road months from now, listening to this podcast, I want you to know, if you struggle with anxiety, life can seem like a battle. I've talked to people who deal with anxiety. I've had my share of run-ins with it, even in my own personal life. But I want you to know, God understands the extent of your worry. He understands. You don't have a God who's out there who cannot relate to or understand what you're dealing with. And because of Jesus, the one thing that you don't have to fear losing is God's love for you, ever. The Bible makes it very clear. Nothing, nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus died and resurrected to bring you into the loving arms of a God of all peace. All peace. See, in God there is all peace. And as we find ourselves in God, we will experience that peace. 1 Peter 5, verse 6 and 7 says, So humble yourselves under the mighty arms of God. Humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Verse seven, give all your anxiety to God for he cares for you. See, peace is available to us 24 seven. John 14, 27 says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and peace of heart. And the peace that I give is a gift that the world, come on, the world cannot give you. So don't be troubled or afraid. You know, Jesus spoke these words to his disciples when he knew in just a matter of hours their own lives would be shattered by the ordeal that he would have to face on the cross. See, this wasn't just something that Jesus said when the lights were down low and the music was playing and the air conditioning was set just right and life is comfortable. No, Jesus said you can experience peace right in the middle of of a storm. In the worst, most difficult trials of your life, God's peace is real. It's tangible and it's available. See, Jesus's peace, it's an inward peace. It's a peace that brings confidence. It's a peace that brings stability to your life when there's really nothing stable around you at all. It's kind of like when Jesus was in the boat, right? We all know the example, the waves and the storm, and Jesus was sound asleep. He was, in, he was in the hands of his father. And see, Jesus, he rebuked the disciples. He says, where's your faith? Do you not trust? 
you can experience the same thing that I am experiencing. This is what Jesus died for us to be able to have. The peace that Jesus gives isn't a promise to remove the stress and the pain and the trials of daily living. That's not the peace that Jesus promises. The peace that Jesus offers is it's a calm, unafraid, unruffled confidence. Having placed our lives in his hands, ultimately all will be well. No matter what happens. No matter how the outcome, whether you got your prayer answered the way you wanted it to or you didn't, all will be well because of this peace. When the pressures of life come, like I mentioned, many people, they turn to drugs, they turn to alcohol, they turn to money, they turn to various means of escapism, even unhealthy relationships, porn, all kinds of things that people turn to to deal with the struggles of life. But the thing is, none of these remedies will last. And none of these, these remedies will move you into the freedom and the power and the peace that God has for you to experience. But God has a plan. God had a plan before the foundations of the world, and he still has a plan today. And if you struggle with anxiety, I encourage you, read Philippians chapter 4. It's a great chapter in the Bible to read. Read Matthew chapter 6. Because both of them will say that the answer to your anxiety and your lack of peace can be found in prayer. Oh, prayer is a powerful thing. Jesus talked about prayer a lot. Jesus was a man of prayer. Even though he was God in the flesh, Jesus would often pull away into the mountains by himself and he would spend time praying. As a matter of fact, Jesus' prayer life was so different from all the people that the disciples had encountered before, all the religious leaders. And they, I remember the, them saying to Jesus, Jesus, teach us to pray like you pray. See, they recognized that Jesus was tapping into something supernatural, something outside of the realm of the world that they lived in, something greater than anything that they had ever seen. And they wanted to have some of that. And Jesus said, let me teach you. Let me show you how to pray. I've heard it said, if it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. I don't know if y'all have ever heard that before. If it's big enough to worry about, it's important enough to pray about. And I encourage you, take time to give God your burdens in prayer. So let me end this section with overcoming anxiety with peace by asking you to ponder a couple of questions here. Number one, how are you praying? Do you pray the answer? Or do you pray the problem? Do you pray in faith? Do you trust that God cares for you? Do you worry in prayer? Or do you find the peace that God wants you to have in prayer? Do you talk about all of your problems? Or do you talk about all of God's promises? Where do you see yourself in that place? Do you thank God for answering your prayers even before you see the results? Isn't that what faith is all about? Another question, what are you thinking? So you've got to learn to rest your thoughts in the Lord. You've got to direct your thoughts to God's love and God's care for you. You've got to pay attention to what's going on in your head. What kind of thoughts are moving around in there? Philippians 4.8 says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts, right? Fix your thoughts. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, 
lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and praiseworthy. See, what are you thinking about? And lastly, who are you following? Who are you following? Surround yourself with people who have learned to trust the Lord when life is overwhelming. This is what I did. When I began to face a lot of trials and a lot of problems, I went and found me some people who had been through a lot of trials and problems and they still were above water. They weren't drowning, they were above water. They were like that hand of Jesus reaching out. And so you gotta connect with people. They've been through the storm. They've been through the trial. They've experienced the hard thing. And yet they were able to make it through without losing their joy. Those are the people that you wanna connect with because those are the people that can guide you through to victory. Spend people, spend time with people, understand the complexities of that struggle. And they've learned how to navigate that. Listen, relationships with people like that are key. They're absolutely key. And and I encourage you from the youngest to the oldest, you need to have a person in your life that is connected to Jesus authentically and you need to spend time with them. A lot of time with them. You need to do life with them. And allow what, what they have, the essence of what they've gotten in their life to, to come off on you, to rub off on you. Very, very important. All right, number two. I spent most of my time there. <laughs> Might need to be a three-part series. I don't know. Number two, overcoming fear with faith. So the second area God wants you walking in victory is, is faith over fear. Now, I'm going to use an example that, that I remember seeing in high school. It's called the law of the pendulum. The law of the pendulum. We were in class and we were, they were demonstrating the pendulum, the law of the pendulum. And, and, and the law says that when a free-hanging weight swings back and forth, it'll swing a shorter and shorter distance. And, you know, each time it's going to decrease. And it's never going to swing past its first initial swing. So it's going to go like this, and it's going to go like... And so what they did to demonstrate this, they took a little three-foot piece of string, tied a little weight on the top of it, and, and uh, hung it off the blackboard. And each time that it would swing, they would mark the arc with chalk. And it just got less and less and less. And everybody in the class was watching this, so the law states that the swing pendulum never would have reached its point from which it began its previous arc. So the class watched this law in action, and, and then they asked them, how many of y'all believe in the, in the law of the pendulum? Of course, everybody's, well, we all believe in it. We just watched it, right? We saw it happen. Even the teacher, I believe in the law of the pendulum. And so they asked the teacher to, to stand with his back against the wall, and they had put a large rope hanging off the ceiling with a much bigger weight. And so they took it from its center point, and they brought it all the way right up to his nose, and they let it go. And man, this thing swung out, and it reached its, its arc, and it started heading back toward the teacher. And so they were going to see, you know, if the, the law of the pendulum was true. Well, they never found out because the teacher was gone. I mean, he was out of there, buddy. Even though he said he believed it, when the, it began to come back, man, he moved out of the way. He wasn't willing to put his faith in the truth to the test. 
And for followers of Jesus, a lack of faith is seldom a matter of disbelief. It's usually a matter of fear. C.S. Lewis, he's one of my favorite authors. I've read pretty much every book he's ever written at least three or four times. And he said this, faith is the art of holding on to things that your reason once accepted in spite of changing moods. Our moods, that is our emotions, such as fear, exert such an influence that unless mastered, they can destroy our trust in what we know to be true. Isn't that good? Well, that's good because C.S. Lewis said it, not me. He was a really smart guy. We all operate in faith daily. We all put our faith in cars and trains and buses and boats and airplanes, you, you name it. And if we can put our faith in a pilot, surely we can put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 6.16 says, in addition to all these things, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. And throughout your lifetime as a Christian, you're going to be bombarded with arrows from the enemy. Thousands of flaming arrows from the enemy. And the way to protect yourself is by faith. Now, 1 John 5, 4 says, For every child of God that defeats this evil world, for every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our, help me, faith. So how does faith help you overcome attacks from the devil? How how does this work practically? Well, faith is more than just a belief. The Bible says that even demons believe and tremble. So it's not just a matter of I believe in God. No, 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 no. Here's what faith is. Faith is belief plus trust. It's not just believing. The demons believe. Faith is belief plus trust. It's trusting in God and his word to us. It's a, it's a present day confidence in a future reality. We can't see it, but we trust it, right? Faith treats things hoped for as reality. That's the description that Hebrews gives us. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. So faith is one of the most important companions that you can take on your journey of life. You know, you can't have a relationship with God and you certainly can't please God, the scripture says, without faith. It requires faith to please God. It requires faith to interact with God. One scripture that I read often and I give a lot of weight to is in Proverbs. I love reading Proverbs. It's very practical wisdom. But in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, it says, and this will be familiar to many of you, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. In all your ways, seek his will, and he will show you which path to take. You know, when I look back on my early years of of being a follower of Christ, there have been three major occasions where this principle really played out for me. I mean, where I clearly knew God was talking to me. Three occasions in, in 30 years of over 30 years of walking with the Lord, I have these three major occasions in my life. One was when um, I got saved. I knew God 
was talking to me. There was no doubt about it. God was talking to me. And God called me out of Texas to come to Arkansas to a little Bible college. That's number one. No, without a shadow of a doubt. The second one was when uh, God told me to marry that beautiful lady that's sitting right out there in that audience, my wife, Angela. No doubt God spoke to me. It was very, very clear. And my mother made sure I knew that too, by the way. (laughs) And then when God called me to stop doing air conditioning work and go into full-time ministry here at Christian Ministries, and I've been here ever since. This is the only church that I've ever served in, and hopefully it will be the only one that I ever will serve in, and hopefully I'll have many, many more years of getting to serve here. But in each of these situations, I trusted God instead of my own intuition. And I think this is very important. See, I acted on what I believed God was telling me to do. That's faith. And looking back on it, I can see what God was up to, and I can see how God directed my path. Looking back, now at that time I couldn't. I had no idea what God was up to. I had no idea what God was doing. But you just have to have that simple childlike faith. God's not going to give you a descriptive, detailed map. No, God's going to give you a lamp. It's a light unto your path. Now, you go into a really, really dark room, and you light a little lamp, and it's really dark. You can't see but maybe a step or two. And that's what God provides for us. Now, after we trek through, we can look back and we can clearly see, but when you're in the middle of it, it, God's not going to be a spotlight that shines five years down life's way. No, you wouldn't need God if God did that. And you would get out here thinking you were God and you would do a bunch of things that you didn't need to be doing. So God keeps us in that good place. But you know, even now, the hardest part of my journey is still the lean not on your own understanding part. <laughs> That's still the hardest part for me. Lean not on your own understanding because I'm, you know, I'm, I work in a logical place in my mind and that doesn't make sense. Why would I ever do that? But listen, I've learned an important truth. If what God asks you to do always seems logical and it always makes sense to you, it's probably not God that you're listening to. Because God's going to have you doing things that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. See, if we want to live life as overcomers of our fears and our failures, we've got to strengthen our faith and our trust in the Lord. Remember, it is the object of your faith, Almighty God, that makes your faith great. I remember reading Hudson Taylor. He was a missionary to China in the 18th century. And he said, God is not looking for people of great faith. God is looking for people who will trust in his great faithfulness. See, that's the kind of faith that God wants us to have. It's the object of our faith that gives it its weight and its power and its substance. It's not our faith, it's the object that we place our faith in. And listen, God is the best one in the whole world to put our faith in, amen? And the last one is overcoming confusion with wisdom. Overcoming confusion with wisdom. Ephesians six seventeen says, put on the salvation as your helmet, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The word protects your mind just like a helmet protects a football player or a soldier. And neither of which would dream of going out and participating in the field without their helmet. It would be very, very dangerous. Helmets have saved, you know, thousands of soldiers, I would guess, 
from uh, bullets and fragmentations and certainly have kept many, many football players from having concussions and being injured. The, the word protects us from Satan's lies, from corrupt philosophies, from confusing thoughts that we all deal with. So, so let me kind of identify this because I think this is important that we understand. Wisdom can be confused with knowledge, but there's a big difference between the two. Okay, there's a big difference between wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge involves the accumulation of information. Knowledge involves the accumulation of facts. Wisdom is the ability to apply that knowledge, apply those facts in your life and achieve the best outcome. So we want to pray for wisdom more than we want to pray for knowledge because you can have a lot of knowledge but not have the wisdom to come in out of the rain, right? We've heard that before. Wisdom protects our minds from deception and confusion. We need God's wisdom. The Bible says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. See, that's where wisdom begins. That's where wisdom comes from. The beginning has to be a fear of the Lord. And then it comes from living and learning and having a hunger to learn and grow throughout your entire lifetime. Psalms 111.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. All who obey his commands will grow in wisdom. If you want to become wiser, obey God's commands. That's how you get more and more wise. The more you humble yourself, the more you keep a hungry heart, the more you remain teachable, even in your older years, the more you remain teachable, the wiser you will be. There's real some key attitudes that we have to adopt if we want to grow in wisdom. One, you have to have humility. Can't be a know-it-all. Can't teach somebody something if they know it all already. And one way that you can know if a person is a know-it-all or not is when you get around them, pay attention to how much they talk. If they talk all the time, they're a know-it-all. And I've just learned to listen. When I get around Tim, I do less talking and more listening. He's 10 years older than me. He's got a lot of wisdom. So I'm going to be quiet and I'm going to listen and let him talk. And I'm going to sit there and walk away and then go tell somebody what he said, take all the credit for it and act like I came up with it. It was just great, right? I do that with my wife all the time too. My wife's got a lot of wisdom. Most of the stuff that I tell y'all, my wife tells me and I don't give her any credit. So I'm giving you both credit tonight. Y'all deserve it. So you've got to have humility to hear God's wisdom, hunger to seek God's wisdom, and, and hearing to truly hear God's wisdom. You know, I've, I've always recognized people as being those who clearly recognize. You know, I think people who are really wise are people who really recognize their own fallibility, people who, who recognize that they really don't know very much at all. I think those are really wise people. Not somebody who knows everything and acts like they know everything. You got to have a humble spirit. You got to be teachable to have wisdom. I, I'll never forget um, an incident that Tim and I had years ago. There was a, a man in our church and he came. He was very frustrated. He was very upset. He said he had been tithing faithfully and it doesn't work. And he was rebutting everything that we had 
taught from the pulpit about tithing. As a matter of fact, our lead pastor just had a great message on tithing here not long ago. Uh, just excellent. And, but he said, tithing does not work. I have been tithing and I am a broke. And so the conversation was, well, you know, what do you do for a living? I'm a welder. Okay, how much do you charge for welding? Well, I have me plus my helper, and so it's $125 an hour. Well, immediately we were able to identify why he was broke, why he didn't have any money. And he was like, well, okay, well, what is it? He said, well, I can get that same job done for half the price. Doesn't have anything to do with the fact that you're tithing or you're not tithing. It has everything to do with the fact that you're not applying wisdom in your life and you're charging double what anybody can get that work done for. That's why you don't have money is you don't have work. You don't have money because you're tithing. You don't have money because you're not walking in wisdom. See, the scripture says that God wants us to prosper even as our soul prospers. I I have to tell interns all the time, you can't go to bed at night with your head wet and your window open and it's 30 degrees outside and think you're not going to get a cold. That, that, that's wisdom. Well, God, I was praying that you would heal me and God's saying, man, I'm doing everything I can just to keep you alive. I mean, you're just, you're working against me, brother. So I've said this before, and and I think it needs to be stated often. We're not wise because we have God's word. We're not wise because we desire God's word. We're not wise even because we read God's word. We're wise only when we keep and obey God's word. See, wisdom guides us in overcoming confusing events in our life. Wisdom is acting with skill on what is known and trusting God with what is unknown. Now I want to close and wrap all this up because I've gone over time. God wants us living our lives from a position of victory. He created us to be overcomers. And as we overcome anxiety with peace, as we overcome fear with faith, and as we overcome confusion with wisdom, we become a more effective witness for people all around us each and every day. See, the gap between what we know And how we apply it, it just seems to get wider and wider every year as I watch people on television. And and I'm just like, I'm astounded. I'm literally astounded. You know, when I was attending Bible college here many years ago, we had, you know, 20-something interns that started out with us. And I encountered some students who um, really, really wanted to live the word. They wanted to do James chapter one, be doers of the word, not merely hearers of the word. But I also encounter students that they just wanted to listen to it. They didn't want to do it. They didn't want to go out and apply it. But the funny thing is they wanted all the benefits that the people who were doing it were getting without actually doing it and living it. See, the desire of the leadership here at Christian Ministries Church for the people that attend Christian Ministries is for you to be blessed, for you to be walking in victory, for you to be experiencing all that God has for your life and overcoming every attack that the enemy brings against you. So we encourage you, seek the Lord more this year, this next year in 2021 than you ever have before. Get in your word, spend time praying, get equipped 
to be a person who can overcome the attacks of the enemy and live a life of victory that God has for you. Amen? Did y'all get something out of this? Stand with me. Let's give God a hand clap. He's worthy. Thank you, Father. We praise you tonight. We love you, Lord. God, go before us this week. We love you and we thank you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the CMC Podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com.